usually do, I'm going to start with reading today's uh, gospel lesson to see if that sparks any questions for you. Um, so our gospel reading for today's uh, lectionary, is, which is Christ the King Sunday, is from John 18. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Wow, I was just getting into that. I didn't think I was going to end that. <laughs> um, yeah, they, yes. cut, they cut the what is truth, which was Pilate's next question yeah, there, which is a good... I was, and I was actually counting the questions, and that was going to be the fifth in a brief reading so it's appropriate that we are assembled to make room for asking questions uh in, as in uh, on this Christ the King Sunday which is the last day of the liturgical year so next Sunday begins a fresh liturgical calendar with the first Sunday of Advent uh so it's appropriate we're here to to make room for some questions and some discussion uh when we have a gospel reading that is replete with questions uh, oftentimes, Jesus answers a question with another question, as is done in this uh, case with Pilate. And uh, to me, uh, you know, the real question that just hangs in the air after you hear this gospel read is, what is truth? As if uh, it can't be arrived at. You know, I, the implication of that question, I think, is, has echoed through the centuries and is as relevant today obviously as it ever has been so um again christ the king sunday is is one of those liturgical days on the calendar that is it's so out of sync with the rest of the world and the and where we are i don't know about you but uh uh our family uh, we got together for a thanksgiving celebration on thanksgiving day but then yesterday our whole extended family on my side we're together again at my mom and dad's place in, in Bloomington uh, to celebrate what we called uh, thanks, Thanksmas. Is that right, Claire? Thanksmas? <laughs> uh, because it was both Thanksgiving and Christmas combined because uh, soon mom and dad will disappear to Florida like so many others uh, and won't be around for Christmas. So, so we were together yesterday opening Christmas presents and, and uh, enjoying a big feast again. So to come to church the next morning and to hear uh, about, you know, the, the sort of the, the grinding, the wheels of, of this sort of false justice beginning to grind and moving Jesus toward the cross uh, with these accusations and this kind of mock trial beginning. It just is so out of whack with uh, how many of you have begun decorating your, your home for Christmas? 
Look at that. See, that's exactly. Wow. That's, that's what I mean. So how out of sync with that uh, is that from uh, where we are liturgically, which is often the case with the, with the church liturgical calendar. Um, it, it maybe in some intentional ways throws us out of sync with the rest of the world. Uh, and, you know, like in Talladega Nights where, uh, what's his name said, you know, I really prefer the, the baby Jesus over the, Jesus. over the yeah. adult Jesus. The, the baby Jesus is my favorite, my favorite Jesus, Jesus over the adult Jesus. Well, we get pretty <laughs> fired up and get ourselves well prepared, uh, for the arrival of the baby Jesus. But here, uh, we are, we are encountering, uh, uh the very adult Jesus, uh, uh, in front of the powers that be. So, Christ the King raises all kinds of rich um, and profound questions about where true power lies, where real authority resides. Um, and so I, I just throw that out there. We wanted to read that and kind of set that as a context that might inspire some questions or uh, comments from you. Uh, we are a faith tradition that observes the liturgical calendar many uh many traditions do not uh so i would you know in addition to hearing questions you might have i'd love to hear from you what it is you appreciate about being a part of a tradition that does observe uh you know advent and christmas and pentecost and lent and and uh all of the seasons that we move through in the liturgical calendar or perhaps you wish we'd uh, throw it out, uh, and I'd love to hear w- 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 why you might think that's an idea too. So, uh, at, what again? What we uh, want to do here is just say there's no bad questions. There's no, we're not here as you know, kind of religious experts. That we're here to sort of see if we can't uh, provide some perspective and, and engage together as we theos, uh, God, logos. Word, theos, logos, theology, theology, as we do public theology together in the context of worship. So uh, Nick's going to throw a clock up there so because time kind of gets away from us. Brent has the, the microphone, so we need, uh, we need a brave first uh, we do. question. We yeah. have one already. All right, here we go. He We're dove off. right in. We, we said we always need someone to get the ball rolling. All right. And this young man said, it, I got it. How did God get created? How did God get created? Wow. That's a good question. So full disclosure, everybody's laughing because you're like, good luck guys. I can, I can hear, I can hear it all in your laugh. So full disclosure, Blake did ask me this question a few weeks ago and I, I, I knew my response was not, (laughs) was not helpful enough. But what I said was, what we believe is that God is the Alpha and the Omega, which are the first and last letters of the alphabet that's kind of the way to say of the greek alphabet is kind of the way to say god has always been and will always be which is not satisfying when you want a concrete answer um which we already talked about so that was kind of what i said is we we just believe god is uh and that is hard to wrap our brains around when as humans we have a a distinct like birth and death and so we have a very like we know when the day and hour and minute you began, right? And so you can kind of see how that is hard to grasp a concept of always existing. Um, <laughs> and, but it's a really good question, Blake. 
Yeah, it's a really hard thing to, to answer. You know, but our, our sort of short answer is that there never was a time ever, ever, ever when God did not exist. God has always been there. And that's hard for us to understand because there was a time when we didn't exist. And we know what our birthday was. But God doesn't have a birthday. God always existed. Uh, and John begins his gospel saying, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and we beheld his glory in the begin- from the beginning. Uh, so we're, we're just, uh, it's a very difficult concept for us to deal with. But the, the answer to that question, to the best that we can sort of talk about it, is that God always was and God always will be. Okay? Which I get is not satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> Even before the dinosaurs on your shirt. That I see. <laughs> All right, that's good. Up oh, over here, Cousin Ryan. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Going to the gospel and talking about the truth, I'm curious, is there a specific Bible uh, story that um, either of you, once you read, you really question the authenticity or really think that maybe through the years that it got lost in translation? And if so, how do you navigate that doubt as a Christian? That's a really good question. I should be writing these down. I usually do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, I, think the, I think the broad view of your question is about how we approach Scripture, you know, whether that's from a, a kind of literal approach so that do you really believe that um, Jonah was swa- swallowed by some giant whale-like creature and actually, you know, hung out in its belly for three days before getting spewed out on the shore in Nineveh? You uh, you believe that actually happened? Uh, or do you believe it is a way of of transmitting a truth in a story that is gripping and dramatic and and uh, transcends the sort of physical impossibility of the whole thing you know uh, I think that's part of what you're getting at with your question uh, and so when you go to seminary for instance and you begin looking at all of the various <laughs> methods of understanding scripture uh, among those uh, well what part of what they do is dismantle you depending on what predilections and what history you come with uh, by by sharing a whole uh, number of approaches uh, but but really in a in a sort of a summary fashion um, the Bible uh, the the ancients uh, didn't approach truth the same way that we tend to approach truth. So for uh, the writer of uh, Genesis creation accounts to say that the world was created in seven days, it would have never crossed their mind to, to try and maintain what we are talking about here are seven 24-hour literal days they would have had a broader approach to telling true things. Uh, and, and, and so accordingly, we sometimes come up against uh, biblical stories uh, 
and, and, and we bring our sort of modern-day scientific methodology or whatever the case might be, our approach to logic, and, uh, and, and it, can be a sort, it can be sort of out of sync with, with uh, sort of biblical intentions is what I'll, I'll say. But no, that's not true in all cases. I mean, uh, it's, it's true in certain genres of literature, and the Bible is packed with a, everything from you know, poetry to, to music lyrics to uh, sort of attempts at hard history with genealogies and so forth. Um, so it depends on what kind of uh, scripture we're, we're looking at, what genre. For me, is there one story that really, you know, kind of puts some flesh on these bones? Um, I can't say there, that there is one that jumps out to me. I don't know. For you. I mean, I think Jonah and creation are like two that, that I think there was at seminary when I was there, there was kind of a joke that you can, you can tell what the call committee at a congregation believes by if they ask you what you think about Jonah, whether it was a really a, a, a swallowed by a big fish or not. And, uh, and, and the, the joke was like, stay away from the congregations who want you to say that really happened because like, you're gonna have a lot of, you're gonna have a lot of problems there. Um, and so, uh, I think that was always one that we got pushed on and that was one that was dismantled <laughs> pretty, pretty quickly in seminary. Um, but same with creation, to be able to let go of, of seven literal days and say, if it's, what if it's, like the story matters, and instead of it being an exact blueprint, the answer is who who matters more than the what or the how and like that's a that's an interesting sort of twist to make your brain start to do when you read scripture um, I think for me uh john fourteen is a is a struggle i i uh I have to preach it a lot because it is a very typical funeral sermon, which is in my father's house there are many rooms um uh, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's all in that, that text. And I feel like it's one I have to preach probably most often throughout the year. And uh, it is one I struggle with the most because I feel like uh, it has been used sort of poorly uh, for, for people and, and turns into a threat instead of a promise. And it turns into something scary and fearful instead of something beautiful and welcoming. And so that has been a verse that I constantly sort of push back on and struggle with how to preach and how to read and how to have it fit into my more expanding view of humanity and and who children of God are and and what that looks like. So that is maybe a verse that I, that's sort of been a little more blown open for me. Um, And I, yeah, I think that's one that, I don't know, I don't hope that answered your question. Thanks. Yeah, that's a good Good one. start. We're off and running. Here we go. Go across. Double hands. Who are you going to choose? We haven't heard from any youngins yet. So I was told this at Axis um, in the Hebrew scripture <laughs> of oh. the Bible. Um, God was considered like with female pronouns. Why did it get switched? Hey, oh, I like that question. Good question. Good question. Pronouns for God. What do we use? Why? Are they enough? Uh, in the Hebrew scriptures, the pronouns are used interchangeably most often for God. Uh, and 
I mean, I can give you my very feminist <laughs> theologian take on it, which is when dudes got together to put the Bible together, they took out all the times that God was referred to as a woman. Um, watch out. Uh, but I think right away from very, very right off when God created humans in God's image, it says God created them male and female. And so if you take that and you think about it, like really think about what that means, that God created us, in God's image, male and female, that implies that God is neither male nor female, which should like blow your mind a bit if the image you've had of God is like sort of Santa Claus, right? The big white beard and the big guy in the sky. Uh, and then we use this, this idea of father, father all the time, which we talk about and Jesus talks about um, you know, Father, my, in my Father's house there are many rooms, which I just referenced. I think that doesn't, um, that's more about a relationship, a familial relationship, but that doesn't necessarily negate the feminine qualities of God. And there are many times in Scripture where God's attributes are f- female. So it talks about God being like a mother hen who covers her chicks with her wings. It talks about God um, being a nursing mother is an image of God that I just find so beautiful that some of these make us uncomfortable. We really like the, you know, authoritarian dad figure, which you can unpack that in therapy. Um, but like really needing to think about what it means. I mean, just start in Genesis where it says, God created humans in God's image, male and female. And what does that mean? And start thinking about what that means. And you might notice that occasionally I use she for God. I always sing songs, hymns. When it says he, I always sing she all by myself in the front row. Um, But that's intentional because I want to train my brain to get out of the idea that God is a dude and that, that we can get out of that language a bit and think of God more expansively. Do you want to add anything to that? No, I I was going to just say the same thing about the mothering images of God throughout Scripture, which are many. And, you know, Scripture, or the, really from the uh, Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, is is birthed out of a patriarchal society. And it, it quite simply is time-bound in that way. It reflects that in its language. And so it's good for us to think beyond those uh, limits. And we're free to do that because we are not literalists, thinking that the only way to approach Scripture is uh, is in some sort of uh, literal uh, understanding, which the Bible quite simply throws out time and time. We as a living uh, expression of God's church and called to be stewards of the precious gift of God's word, uh, if, if we have learned to be more inclusive in our approach to sharing, reading, breathing, and living this word, this active living word of God, by not allowing it to stay time-bound in the patriarchal society from which it was given birth, then that's prob- that, that seems faithful to us. Uh, that seems worth the effort. Great question. Did the devil also create himself? 
Well, no. Um, the, this is the, the power to create really belongs in, uh, in our theology and our understanding of the Bible belongs to God. God creates, God invites us to be on some level co-creators, uh, but none of us can make a claim to have uh, created ourselves. Uh, and that's true for every uh, being that has ever existed would be the way that I would answer that. Bring it to the middle. Uh, just a side note, the book of J is the writer in Genesis, and scholars believe it's a woman. Can you can you say that again closer to the mic? Okay. Yeah, there you go. There, there are several writers in the book of Genesis, and scholars now have proved that one of the writers is J, is a woman. Oh. So just a side note for that story in Genesis. Uh-huh, okay. Keep it, like, touch the mic on your chin. Okay. There you Any go. better? Okay. So my thing is that I believe there's only one truth and it belongs to the Trinity. Do you agree with that? One truth and it belongs to, to God. It belongs to, to God. God. God has the one truth. Sure. Okay. So my problem sure. is how come so many religions claim to have a truth, but it doesn't include Jesus. It doesn't include other things of the Trinity. Did you understand that? Yes. Yes. Well, I, I don't, I, I'm going to say that just uh, my initial response is to say those two propositions you've laid out are not in any way mutually exclusive. To say that the ultimate truth of God is revealed in the Trinity uh, and then to say that other religions claim to have truth but do not profess the Trinity uh, how, you know, how can we reconcile those two things, or uh, is it, it does that automatically mean that the other religion is false or lacking in some at, you know central aspect of the truth? I don't think those. I don't think one of those cancels the other one out. I think I can believe that what God has made known to me is in a manifestation of the truth that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, God in Christ, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, has claimed me as his own child in my own baptism. The, that, that is, if you ask me, what do you believe about the Almighty? And uh, you came from some other religion, some other religious uh, tradition uh, that's unrelated to Christianity. Uh, that, that's what I would say. I would say that in Christ, and obviously this would take a while to have a discussion about what, what that all meant. It's not that, a driveway conversation. Yeah, you know? uh, but I would ultimately come around to, I believe that God in the person of Jesus Christ has decided to come get me, Chad, uh, claim me as his own, assure me in the waters of baptism that I can walk around thinking this, that I'm a forgiven child of God, I am, in fact, uh, encouraged more than even allowed to go ahead and say, uh, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make the sign of the cross. Remind myself, Luther said, every morning who you belong to. I can do that. That's my answer to this other person. And he says, well, here's what we've learned. We believe we can experience God in the wind. 
And we experience God in these other rituals that we take part of, whatever the indigenous group they might be, wherever I might find myself, to which I would never be inclined to say, well, that's not true because you did not profess the manifestation of God that I know to be true. I would simply say, that, my brother, is fascinating. I would like to hear more. What could I learn from you and your people? This is unbelievable. I cannot believe that God is present in you, sharing these truths with you, if they seem not to be contrary to the God of love that I, that I claim to know. But before I left, I would say, by the way, my friend, I believe that because I'm sitting here in front of you, and because we engaged in this conversation, that God in Christ loves you, claims you and forgives you in exactly the same way God has done this for me. Not in a slightly lesser way because you worship the wind and all this other weird stuff you're into. Not in a slightly lesser way, in exactly the same way. I believe, and then if that person says to me, well, there's some water, what's to keep us from, what's to keep me from being baptized? Then I'm going to say, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. So, never the case that I think your understanding of, of the Almighty doesn't match up with mine that I then have to say, ah, I got the truth. You do not. That's, that's my approach. You know it's yeah. coming, right? You know the, the next five minutes were coming. Uh, yeah, and I also just want to, I think, I think we've sort of flipped this idea of, of like our faith to be about belief. Like, it, belief is a thing you either do or don't do, and you either do it right or don't do it right. And I, I think so often the word that we use for belief in Scripture can be also translated as trust, and I think we shouldn't ignore that and say, I can trust in God, trust also in me, Jesus says, in John 14, the text that I wrestle with all the time. And I think there's an, there is the reality of saying, like, I can trust that God is revealed to me through Jesus, but that in no way negates or should negate the way God reveals God's self to other people. And, and you do this yourself. You go out to the North Shore and you stand on the top of Palisade Head and you look out at the lake and you think, God is here, right? You think, God's just been revealed to me in what I'm looking at. Or you go up, up north and you're in, in the Boundary Waters and you go outside in the middle of the night and you look up at the stars and you're like, God has just been revealed to me. I think all of that is truth. I think that does exist. God is revealed to us in more than Jesus. But I also think God is most clearly revealed who God is through Jesus. And I think that's, again, it's just a little shift that I think is important to try to make in your own brain first, and then it makes it easier to have that kind of conversation. Because you're not, 
I mean, I think the first thing you do when you say, I have the truth and you do not, is you just shift a big wall up in front of you and another person. And you have to then spend time either tearing that wall down or climbing it in order to have a conversation with somebody. And the goal is to not, not start your conversation with a wall. <laughs> then you're just talking to bricks. Brent is way, way back there. Um, this question feels kind of slight compared to the other questions that we've already heard. But um, as I think about the Bible and the lectionary that we use, we go through the same readings every three years. So we're starting up on year C. And um, I was curious enough to do some research and found that the lectionary series gives us about 90% of the Gospels. Um, total of the New Testament is like 70 plus percent. In the Old Testament, we only get about 15% or so, I believe, of the of the context. And that's assuming you would take all the lectionary readings and go through that. So just a more of a curiosity question as we seek the Bible and and you know, all the other so the other to put in context of of all the other people who know the good news and worship and all the different ways of worship, there is a lot of different religions that follow this lectionary cycle. So just curious a little bit about the history and the parts of the Bible that we get left out, you know, in context of Luther giving us the Bible and, and giving it to us to read and understand its entirety. Just thoughts on, on lectionary versus more contextual Bible study teachings, if you have a comment or thought on that. Yeah, so the the lectionary is... Um, it's, it's slightly different than talking about the the liturgical calendar, but it's certainly related. And the lectionary is, as Dale has indicated, it's a cycle of reading the scriptures, a three-year cycle, uh, and each year focuses on a, another, a different gospel, and it scans um, various portions of the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament, and then slots in epistle readings or letters of Paul. Uh, usually the letters of, of Paul are kind of freestanding. They sometimes relate to a theme that is identified with the other uh, readings. Uh, most of the time the Old Testament passage is connected in some form to the gospel reading, but not always. So the value of the lectionary and of lectionary preaching is that it it does not really allow uh, the preacher to sort of stick to their favorite themes throughout, or or it, it sets in front of the the preachers uh, texts that they may not have on their own, you know, considered as. So it is a kind of discipline that I find value in over time. There's nothing, um, you know, biblically mandated about following a lectionary. It's a, it's part of a faith tradition. There's a there's an element that is uh, seems to be sort of um, of some value uh, in that the thought that your your um, Catholic sister might be hearing the same gospel read that your Methodist cousin is hearing on the same day that you and your Lutheran church all went to to worship that you're all, that we're all kind of um, wrestling with engaging with the same scriptures on any given you know there's there's maybe some 
some value to that. So that's uh, that's that. But that, but there are other approaches. There is something called the the uh, narrative yeah, lectionary that has been de- developed in recent years from uh, flowing from our faith Lutheran faith tradition, which tries to to it, it ignores the common lectionary that we've been using and tries to follow uh, the sort of story, the meta story of Scripture uh, throughout uh, the cycle of the year has to make some concessions for a variety of reasons as it does that. Uh, and there are obviously lots of churches that, that adopt what is a, um, a series approach. So, you know, six-week series on, you know, parenting or, you know, whatever the theme might be. It can be almost anything. But then trying to connect with that same theme for six or seven weeks in a row before they move to the next. There's a bunch of churches that that's all they ever do. But um, So there are a variety of approaches out there. Uh, uh, you know, I've kind of stuck with the lectionary for the most part with diversions here and there. I'm always willing to divert from it for any really sort of good reason. I try to make it be a good reason, though, not just a whim. Uh, and um, it's been a good... There's positive and negatives to it, but um, you do miss big, you know, big chunks of scripture to be sure. But the idea of reading three lessons and in, in many tr- churches, three lessons and a psalm um, that they get read out loud. But you know, you can only preach on so much, and you can only really touch on oftentimes just just a, a word or two within one of those three or four scriptures that are read. So there's no real magic to to hearing them read aloud in the worship assembly, uh, and so you get to a good bit of the Bible over the span of three years. For me, it's more about the discipline of of uh, being presented with readings that, eh, oh, there that one is again. I haven't thought about that for a while, and uh, I think it's uh, I I then end up in a process that I wouldn't have pro- likely have chosen on if left to my own devices, and I think. To taking myself out of the mix as much as possible, I trust that more than I trust myself, honestly. We have talked about, a few times, sat down and had conversation about moving to the narrative lectionary. We have, But we always kind of come back to the fact that we would miss out on these rich gospel texts because they, they don't, the narrative lectionary starts year one in Genesis and slowly moves all the way through the Bible, which is interesting, but... You really do miss some of those beautiful, in three years, to not hear the story of blind Bartimaeus, to me, is like real sad. You know, you have to make some concessions and miss some things that there are stories that I value and want to hear. And the the discipline of the lectionary also, I find, I mean, I... Um, I I've been to lots of churches who do series-based preaching, and I don't find that to be... Um, it's not bad or it's not like it's not meaningful, but I also think often you find a theme and then you sort of squish a Bible verse into fitting that theme. Um, and, and usually it's kind of like this American life where he's like, we pick a theme and we do three stories on the theme. Any Ira Glass fans in the room? Um, and when he says that, it's usually the first story they tell on the theme really fits the theme. And then the next three stories in the theme sort of loosely fit the theme. And I feel like that's kind of what happens in a series based is that um, you know, first the first one's always really good, and the second one's usually pretty good. And then, as you stretch it to fit other things, you're really doing some Bible gymnastics, which I find to be less 
um, authentic in reading of scripture. So I, f- I find I like series-based preaching, and we have done it. I mean, we've done it here. We've, we've often done it on uh, in our summer Wednesday services. We'll pick a theme for the summer, and that's an, a different approach. Than or, the Lent, or Lent, or Lent too. We yeah. often do it because those services yeah. lend themselves to being a little more flexible. But I do like lectionary preaching. I I think it's I find it really interesting to see how so often the text fits where the world is and not the other way around. And so you read the text and you're like, wow, this feels really relevant. And somehow we read it three years ago and it felt as relevant three years ago as it does now, but the world is not the same. And I find that to be really interesting and uh, how God is kind of working through scripture. And that always reminds me that we consider scripture to be the living word of God, right? And to me, that's you get a text put in front of you and you really see how God is working through the the text in the way the world is right now. I like it. Maybe we have time for one more. Is there one more out there? Or, yep, over here. <laughs> so often we come across people, stories about angels. And in my understanding, angels were made by God less than man and I don't believe that when we die we become an angel and what do you think what do we think about angels yeah Ooh. yeah well uh, a- angels are spoken of as heavenly messengers and uh, you know the, the truth is for all of our yearning for angels um, most places where they appear in the Bible there's outright terror you know <laughs> so I don't know if you're into that but you know <laughs> that's what you're after then i guess you want angels around and they most people are driven to their faces in in the dirt out of fear when they when they arrive and the first thing they have to say is hey don't be afraid you know uh i bring you glad tidings of good cheer you know that sort of thing or you know uh so um uh i don't i i'm I don't believe, I mean, I think we'd like to say things like, uh, you know, there's another angel in heaven when someone we love passes away. It's probably theologically a little off, off track. <laughs> um, pro- also probably no real harm done, you know, if that helps you to sort of think. But also try not to say that to somebody who just lost their person. Yeah. Because that's like, yeah. it's just not, it's not, not super comforting helpful. Yeah, it's not comforting. It also not. makes God into a sort of a, you know, a, a hitman that you know <laughs> boom i need this one up here you know it's, it's yeah. not comforting yeah. in that way but yeah. the idea that there are that there is a, a presence of god through beings that are beyond our sort of physical uh, um uh, ability to to sort of see or really quite completely understand i am wholly open to the whole notion i mean i've been a around um people in ministry for long enough to have heard and you know been close to people who have had really just what i will describe as mystical experiences of the presence of god are those are those angels they are certainly not very well explained by our understanding of the way the world works so uh, you know I, I can't even go down that road because there's so many stories that come to mind of people who have had, at very important moments in their life, this experience of of God's presence through, you know, what we'll describe as a kind of heavenly being or a 
or a heavenly messenger. So if the question is, do you believe in angels? Yeah, absolutely. What do you believe about them? I couldn't even begin to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I don't really feel any sort of responsibility to have a better answer than that, frankly. I just think it's one of those cool things that um, seems to be true, uh, but I don't know what to tell you about. They don't. There's maybe there's a class now at seminary about what you're supposed to know about angels, but nope. I might have missed that. Day. <laughs> you <laughs> skipped that yeah. day. <laughs> and not to be flippant, but I I do believe that God is present in ways that we could not begin to to understand using, um, you know, natural phenomena. Um, that, that, that would fall into the supernatural category. And I, I will not deny that I've had an experience or two that could probably um, fall into that category. You know, like, I cannot believe that just happened when it happened. You know. yeah. uh, so that's a good place to stop. Thank you very much again. Uh, that's how fast 25 minutes can go when we do theology together, when we discuss our faith. Um, and really appreciate always this congregation's willingness to, to step off of the normal track of things uh, to do this. So why don't we uh, stand together and we'll, we'll make profession of our faith. Come out, fount of every blessing. To my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise You call for songs of loudest praise